0: While you've been out on the road Waiting for a new episode We've been thinking of you what you need Oh, yeah, yeah Now that the show's underway I guess we can't call
1: And welcome to the very first episode of the Bowfinger Minute podcast. Each week, Movies by Minute's hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz directed comedy, Bowfinger, one minute of screen time per episode. Uh, I'm one of your hosts today, Jim O'Kane, the executive producer of the Bowfinger Minute, and uh, one of the hosts of the Rocketeer Minute.
0: Absolutely, and and the airport minute and uh, and movies by minutes uh, podcaster extraordinaire, Jim. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> uh, and I'm Hal Bryan, uh, Jim's uh, lucky co-host from the Rocketeer Minute, and uh, and an occasionally frequent and just frequently occasional guest on other uh, movies by minute endeavors. Ah, so well, this is fun.
1: It is. It's a great a great way to kick off. Uh, and the the next ninety five episodes of the Bowfinger Minute. My gosh! Uh, this is believe it or not, this is the sixth the the sixth movies by minutes uh, group project, and uh, I think this is one of well we've we've done a couple of comedies we did into the night, and uh, I don't think I don't know if uh, Die Hard counts as a counts as a comedy or not. I laugh all the time every time I watch Die Hard.
0: I do too, but I you know I'm I I don't know I'm I'm laughing with adrenaline I think. Yes. <laughs> so. But it is a Christmas movie, or that,
1: yeah. I ins- uh, even though Bruce Willis says otherwise, I I believe right. it's a Christmas movie. Wow, uh, what, but, is,
0: uh, what does he know? He was yeah. only in it.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. Well, this we've
0: is, seen uh, it more than he has.
1: Yeah. There. So. So there. <laughs> <laughs> we're, the, we're the paying customers. He's, just the, right. he's just the help. <laughs> the so. help. Wow. Well. Uh, well, we're you know we're, here we are at the, the sixth year, and we're doing this. Uh, this movie about gosh, one of Hollywood's favorite subjects, which is Hollywood (laughs) movies about movies, about movies. It's uh, a, it is a typical subject. I mean, I keep thinking of things like, uh, the Stuntman or All About Eve or La Chinois or there's always somebody making a movie. I mean, even, you know, Spielberg, just uh, as we're recording this, his new movie, The Fablemans, is about the history of a kid who likes to make movies. And, right.
0: Uh, Which I haven't uh, haven't seen yet. I don't know if you have.
1: I, I haven't been um, there yet. But uh, yeah,
0: it's it's high on my list. Uh, it, you know, not to go off on a tangent because that's we wouldn't do such a thing. <laughs> never. Jim. This never happens. <laughs> never happens. But we did just watch. Uh, it, it kind of felt like we were sort of in the frame of mind to sit down and watch the fables. We watched, uh, 52577, ah. which has actually been finished for a while, but it's sort of just now really making its, uh, its debut on streaming services and everything. And, uh, and we had a ton of fun with it. It was, you know, semi-autobiographical and somebody growing up as we all were inspired by early sci-fi and GI Joe and major Matt Mason and all those cool things. And then, you know, starting out making movies and, uh, just what what happened from there? How he grew up and got into movies, and his early encounter with uh, the Star Wars production, meeting Spielberg at a very young age, all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, it, it's definitely just drips with nostalgia.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I get that feeling. Anybody who's ever been involved in film production can readily identify with Bowfinger and his his coterie, his uh, his entourage there, because it's 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 so much. Watching, especially when you're making independent films, there's there's so much involved in faking it till you make it, and pretending you're more successful than you really are. Um, that, that's you know where we're going to be finding Steve Martin's character in this about trying to fit into a, a level of Hollywood interaction that uh, that he doesn't have that he's never quite reached. And uh, I, I think this is a. I get the feeling with Steve Martin, this is a semi-autobiographical. Uh, movie for him in uh, in terms of becoming a success in in the uh, in the film scene
0: and and somehow I don't know if I can really articulate this I don't even know if I can back it up but but there's something very instinctive to me that says that Frank Oz was a perfect choice uh, to to direct this as well and to have this you know satirical but still very very affectionate look at the movie making process and doing it through this lens pardon the pun of of something that was absolutely threadbare budget wise and you know all the stresses that go along with it and you know imagining what goes into making a sort of fully fleshed out appropriately funded film and and all the long hours and high energy and stress that goes into that then trying to imagine doing it under these circumstances it's um it it captures it really well
1: yeah i i I agree this you know it it's funny how much Frank Oz brings the the Muppet Show sense of humor into this <laughs> film. It's slightly absurd. There's a lot of curmudgeonly, uh, curmudgeon comedy. I think is is where it's at. And it's just uh, you you get the feeling that uh, everybody in the movie is in on the joke. Right. So it, it, uh, it, I I would have loved to have been on this scene when um when they were filming. Actually, was I was at Universal pictures in 1999 when they were shooting this and i had seen at the time it was called bowfingers big thing oh wow and i didn't know anything about it other than the signs that they had you know now shooting they had the the studio set aside for the stage and i didn't know anything about the movie until after it was released i was like oh that's that's that movie they were shooting at universal when i was out there so it's it's funny seeing it you know completed on the on the screen and it's such a. It's such a comfortable little film. I mean, we're used to nowadays, you know, you're watching these gigantic CGI masterpieces with, you know, $300 million budget and big name stars and everything. And here's people that, you know, some of them are stars. Some of them are not quite stars. And um, it just feels so intimate, so homey. And I miss these kind of films. Uh, There there don't seem to be as many nowadays.
0: Right. The... um... Uh, interesting thing for me was uh, I think I had pointed out to you that this film had completely escaped my attention when it came out and I'm not sure how so I really knew nothing about it and you know watched it for the first time not too long ago before we recorded this and um, I was I was struck first of all by like okay how did I miss this miss this movie and I've always loved Steve Martin he's fantastic and this I you know I think this is one of Frankly, one of Eddie Murphy's very best, and I love Frank Oz. And the other thing that struck me about it, and I this is this is a compliment because it doesn't feel dated, but this to me was, uh, you know, probably one of the best '80s movies to come out in, you know, almost 2000. <laughs> yeah. There's something about it. It's got that. Um, I want to say that '80s sort of formula. Um, but but it's more that it has that watchability to it, that it's it's fun, it's engaging, it's surprising. You know, you don't know how it's going to end, but there's a, I think you, you called it, did you say it was a comfortable little movie? And I, I think yeah. that's, I think that nails it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's very much a, let's go out, it's very much like the plot of the movie. You feel like they just went out with a couple of cameras and said, let's make this movie and it'll take about right. three weeks to do. And yeah. you know, it, it seems really human-sized i guess is the is the way to say you know i i i I enjoy i enjoy epic you know the the mcu and all that and star wars i really enjoy those films but it's nice just having movies with people and failing people people who are trying their best are doing their best um much in the laurel and hardy style uh kurt vonnegut described laurel and hardy as they did their best with every test and i think that's what (laughs) everybody here is trying to do their best and try to be more than who they are right Um, and uh, that's, a, that's the joy I find in
0: this film. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that sort of, that it, it could have been just a pure frustration comedy where you're just, you know, you're just irritated that he's trying to sort of pull off this entire, you know, flim flam. It's, it's a bit of a, in a way, it's a bit of a con. And things, and sometimes you watch something like that and you just roll your eyes and say, you know, this movie would be 10 minutes long if we just told the truth in the beginning. <laughs> but, you know, and you see that with, with some things of the era. But in this case, um, when, when done properly, as it was here, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for everybody yeah. the entire time. And I want to see them get through it. And I, I, I have high hopes, even though it doesn't seem likely, that they're, somehow they're going to pull it all off. Uh, by the end and i'm I'm cheering them on and and as i said sometimes you go back to a more dated storyline and you just roll your eyes and say if you would just you know just say oh sorry <laughs> you know i lied <laughs> but i got this script you know whatever but then the whole thing would have fizzled and so uh so there's a there's an inspirational side to it as well just to go for it and as you said so perfectly fake it till you make it
1: yeah no i i agree it's it's such a you 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 even feel you even feel for Eddie Murphy's uh, uh, Kit Ramsey character. I mean, even though he's just kind of crazy, you feel you feel bad for him that he's stuck in the situation where all these people are are coming up and and telling him he's being you know uh, attacked by aliens and stuff. And right? It's, it's like it's, like you, said, you do you do identify with everybody who's ever on screen at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, and with Eddie Eddie Murphy, you know, he's uh, with sort of Kit's character. He's so he's big and successful and everything else, but that means he's got hangers on he's got people that are that are leeching off him. the whole uh the whole mind head thing with i hope i don't offend anybody with terrence stamp as l ron hubbard yeah uh, just you know you you're our celebrity fixture and you're our guy and you know and you know I for guess. another hundred grand we can yeah, help you yeah. with x y and z somebody
1: get my checkbook yeah
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and uh um that whole thing going on and, and you know for for a uh silly satire. Murphy does such a good job of being, number one, of being two different characters and uh, uh, but of playing that he's you know, he's big and successfully sort of arrogant. He's very used to getting his own way. He's got his entourage and, and all the trappings but he's also you know, remarkably vulnerable in that whole yeah. thing and susceptible to the to the ruse of all these strangers coming up to him and kind of feeding into this conspiracy he's, he's making up in his head.
1: I think one of the things that, that always pulls it, pulls me in on this movie is that it's quotable and you remember so many of the scenes. The scenes will come to you after you've seen the movie. You say to yourself, oh, I remember that part where this happened or that, you know, when my uh, my favorite part being the uh, the one where uh, Kit's brother, Jif, is about to cross the uh, the 101, the Hollywood oh Freeway. Yes. <laughs> it's just you think about it, and he's just you know pinned up against the wall, uh, <laughs> near tears, and everybody's right. waving him, action, action. Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> and they've, they've somewhat convinced him that these are all stunt drivers, yes. and everybody knows that he's gonna, you know, that he's gonna cross, and he can just trust the process, and that's. You know, that's another area. I think if this movie had been made in another era, that scene would have gone horribly wrong. Oh yeah, and yeah. you know, there would have been tragic consequences. But, um, but that's just another another spot where we're in on it. Poor Jif is not, and and you're just biting your nails and yeah. you know and rooting him on. And and what's weird is we should be really kind of furious with Steve Martin at this point.
1: Yeah, torturing all these people just to get yeah. just to get his silly movie made just to get they, his movie slamming. made, but yeah.
0: but I kind of shrug and say, well, hey, he has a dream too, so <laughs> you know when I'm rooting for Jiff to survive the one on one, I'm I'm rooting for Steve Martin to get the shot. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's I, I mean, there's there's so many things. The the idea of I mean, we're getting way ahead, but uh, well, the, sure. Um, that's our prerogative that, at minute that's, one. That's, yeah, <laughs> let let them all try to try to catch up with us later in the future minutes. But the things like where, <laughs> where there uh, where Steve Martin's about to get a a ticket for not having a permit to film in Beverly Hills and he talks the police officer to being in the movie have you ever a right. show business kid exactly. yeah, so just, uh, yeah, it, it's it's perfect and it's um I I enjoy this film I'm surprised at how many people haven't seen it um but it was you know I think back in like 2000 or so it was on every 10 minutes on HBO or Showtime or whatever
0: oh gotcha that would make sense yeah I was thinking back you know what else was happening around that time and of course you know, I spent the first half of the summer uh, or at least the spring of 99 waiting in line for tickets to the phantom menace ah. um and i remember that so uh, so clearly like wife and i went to downtown seattle to get in line physically in person on the day they went on sale and about one in every maybe 15 people in this line of hundreds had a cell phone Ah. at that point and they were calling and calling and calling hitting redial and then they would get through on the phone and buy their tickets and you know woohoo and then they'd run out of the line run past hundreds of us to get up to the box office and you know then we're looking around thinking oh maybe we should get one of those cell phones one of these days you know it's just crazy times
1: I, I remember at the at 1999 uh, going to see the uh the Brad Pitt movie Joe Black and oh, sure. Joe, Joe Black was going to be the, the movie where they showed the Phantom Menace at the beginning. And I went with a couple of friends. It was a middle, middle of the day movie. And uh, we went to see Joe Black. And then when the movie, <laughs> after they showed the Phantom Menace trailer, we all got up and walked to, walked to the back of the theater and left. <laughs> and it was like perfect lunchtime activity. And, you know, the the movie's just starting. You know, the uh, the ticket agent was saying at the front, oh, too bad <laughs> we're going. But it was it was great. And then, you know, that was like gosh, the beginnings of the internet. Um YouTube was barely around, so people were passing around these very grainy images of uh, of what the uh, the Phantom Menace looks like. I think I think oh, I watched yeah. the Phantom Menace trailer about 500 times at yep. potato resolution.
0: Yeah, on, exactly. A little screen. I I am 99% sure at I'm I'm just I'm trying to place myself in the right you know right era but I am about 99% sure that that was at one point uh handed to me on a on a three and a half inch floppy disk
1: oh wow, wow. you
0: know some uh some 240 by 320 avi yeah. of uh, yes. of the trailer or parts of the trailer or of you know yeah. somebody's vhs camcorder capturing the trailer illegally in the theater
1: yeah with people yelling and screaming in the background But because you had to get it because it was going to disappear off the internet forever you know
0: <laughs> right exactly <laughs>
1: um but oh, yeah that, 99 was, i uh that was kind of the uh the peak of my uh work on my my website tv dads i was get uh i was getting invited to a lot of different um television premieres out in la so i went in the summertime while they were shooting uh well they're fi- they they finished shooting on this movie um I was out in L.A. while it was a pilot season and uh I was in a very similar well I'm probably getting ahead with stories and we'll probably keep pick this up during our week later on in the well moment. that's true but but uh I-, I remember being in Santa Monica and uh, there was a show on the WB network uh, called Mission Hill it's an a- it was an animated show and it was done by Josh Weinstein and uh, Bill Oakley who were recently of uh, the simpsons writing team. Oh, and, uh, sure. They had worked with Al Jean and things and uh, they were coming out with this show called Mission Hill and it was about a group of uh you know 20 somethings living in a like a Portland Seattle like town some kind of a college town and uh I was with them just before they were going to finish production on. They they finished the show, but they were trying to get releases for different things. And I was I was with them in in Santa Monica in a house that looks exactly like Bobby Bowfinger's house in this movie. And uh, they were that's where the writing the writing room was. That's where they had you know, did designs for their characters and things. And as I was with them, they had just gotten permission from the uh, the band Cake to use the song Italian Leather Sofa as their theme music. And they were all excited and they, they told me about it, but they said, don't, don't write anything. because it it's a secret. I thought, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about. It. I thought, wow, I'm a, you know, I'm an insider
0: now. <laughs> You're an insider. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so it was, you know, it's just interesting seeing all this going on in 99 while, while I was out in LA and talking with people who were making movies, making TV shows. And, uh, it's very, it really is a, uh, a picture of its time. Um, I, yeah, like you were saying with cell phones, cell phones were a, a rarity, or you know, a sign of either extreme wealth or that you were a very important person. Right. Um, as we'll yeah, see, we, like, we were kind pager, of so. just
0: past the just past the wired car phone stage, or that yeah. those were starting to fade, but people were starting to carry them. I uh, I had a pager at the time. Yes.
1: Yes. The electric leash.
0: For, <laughs> yes. Exactly for I, for reasons I, apparently, um, but yeah. that was an interim thing. And, you know, I could get, you know, in, I mean, in effect, I could receive text messages and, you know, even yeah, have you, a little news feed, like a, some kind of like a, antique RSS feeder into oh, the wow. pager to read news wow. headlines and stuff. Oh, wow. Uh, you were, but yeah. you must uh, have wasn't been really important. After. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> like to brag, but uh I did stand in line for Phantom Menace tickets you, for a long time, Jim.
1: There you were. Yeah. No, I, I used to get, I remember having, the, I was, I was working for uh, British Aerospace, and my boss. We had put in some new software systems in the company, and he was worried about me going on vacation without being able to get in touch with me. So he got me my pager, ah. and I had to wear it. At we had taken my kids to uh, Walt Disney World, and I can remember standing outside the Hall of Presidents getting paged, and I had to go find a payphone to call my boss back <laughs> to find out he couldn't log in and forgot his password. So it was I. Uh, <laughs> I crossed that one off my uh, vacation day since I figured if I'm on the clock, I'm you know if I'm doing something, I'm not, right. I'm not taking this vacation day.
0: Oh, but, that's
1: uh, funny. Oh, those days.
0: Those the uh, those days. Yep.
1: Yeah. Wow. But awesome. uh, I, well, let's let's talk a little bit about our our minute here, the first minute, which does. That's right.
0: There are things happening on screen. It's not yeah, a lot.
1: Yeah. It's um. It's it's really um. We have the we, we It's basically two halves. There's two two things going on. First is the. Uh, uh, it's two logos actually we get the logo of universal pictures right. and uh, and then which was followed by the uh, imagine entertainment logo and then we have the words uh, yeah basically they repeat themselves universal pictures and imagine uh, entertainment presents a brian grazier production uh, frank oz film so we're well yeah we barely get frank oz in the last couple of frames but uh so the big thing let's let's talk about I'm, universal i am a Film logo junkie. I love, <laughs> I love watching film logos. I mean, everything like, you know, at the end of the Brady Bunch when the Paramount uh, logo would come on and they had what they call the uh, closet killer music that dun dun da 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 da. That, that oh. thing that would scare people. That little kids <laughs> yes. would be scared of it. Um, I love that stuff. I love love everything about it. And you know, here we are. We're watching a 1999 film. So we're we're pretty much all, we're almost all caught up. There's there's a new. There's a new logo that they can introduce later, but the music that we're hearing uh, with this one is um, this is the this is the sixth um, Universal uh, release. It's uh, it shows up with that that beautiful uh, horizon, the curved horizon, and then the uh, then the, the the letters for Universal roll out. The music that we're hearing is uh, Jerry Goldsmith's theme. Jerry Goldsmith, of course, everything from planet of the apes to uh star trek the next generation and deep space nine and voyager all that that great orchestral music just rolling out um replacing you know one of our favorites james horner uh oh, yeah. he he had the the previous theme uh that was uh, a universal theme and uh, i i'm going to play it here in the background while uh while we're chatting because it's everybody knows this theme you've seen it. and that was the fifth that was the fifth universal theme but it goes all the way all the way back to the beginning of sound films everybody i mean i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure it caught your eye hal when the first sound universal came out which didn't have a theme <laughs> but it had that beautiful little airplane any idea right. what it was <clears throat> it, was that a particular airplane was it a ryan or a, i don't know what
0: it, it's what, a um so my my best educated guess and it's hard to find a really good look at it but everything about it uh including the era and and all of that says it's a uh lockheed orion the the first lockheed orion not oh. not of course the the later the p3 um excuse me no the sirius the orion different body so, so lockheed made a series of aircraft the sirius the orion and the vega uh with their star names oh, so okay. I always, uh, I always have to stop and double check myself. So that was, so that's no, it's more like the Lockheed Sirius. Um, That airplane is, and what's interesting about that, that series is that they made all the airplanes basically have the same wing and the same fuselage. They just put them in a different place. So the, uh, the Sirius was the one that was uh, low wing and then open cockpit. Um, And it is uh, it is best known uh, uh, for uh, the one that uh, Charles and Ann Lindbergh had they put floats on it and then um, did all the uh, exploration and mapping routes uh, into the Far East. And that's when Anne Martha booked the book, North to the Orient, uh, that airplane was given a, a Native American name. It was, uh, I believe it's Ting Masartok. I can spell it, but I can never quite, I never hear it said. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, sorry, it was the native, uh, it was the Greenlanders who, uh, the Inuit who gave it that name. Wow. Um, but anyway, that's that has quite, has quite it's a so ceiling
1: cool. considering how far away it is from the planet. Yeah, exactly. It's
0: actually in uh, not yeah. even that low Earth orbit at that yeah, point. Yeah. It's, uh, it's up there. <laughs> Very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really remarkable. It's... Well, it was designed uh, by uh, Gerald uh, Volte, who went on and did a lot of work with his own company and Jack Northrop, oh. uh, of course, of, you know, flying wing fame yeah. and Northrop yeah. aviation and all that stuff. So it was when they were both working for Lockheed they wow. did the series. So uh you know if, if if Northrop in particular is involved, yeah I believe it's uh I believe it was possible for it to be hundreds of miles out into space. Why not?
1: <laughs> they keep it quiet, yeah. Yes. It's uh it's yeah it's beautiful. I mean it didn't have it didn't I, I always remember it from the opening of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Oh um, sure and then the one after that in 1936 uh we, we moved they moved away from a universal picture with the uh with the with the plane flying around to beautiful plexiglass letters and it played that uh the jimmy mccue theme which I'm, I'm playing here in the background now um w- uh with the, you know the, that's the one i mean you always think of like kind of a busby berkeley thing like, this is a really good this is a really good film that's going to come out because it's universal it's going to have great monsters and things you know the wolfman i think started with with this and uh, that ran sure. into, that ran until like 1945 it went, went all the way through world war ii um then in in 46 we got into more of the uh the big color production. So you saw a Universal International. And again, that didn't have any kind of a, that, they dropped the Jimmy McHugh theme. And uh, and you just saw a Universal International picture. Uh, things like Destination Moon or um, you know any any of those big epics, the, the biblical epics that they used to, that they made with the widescreen and stuff. So you'd see that. And um, our era, the 60, 60s and 70s and into the 80s, we know the one that was used on television and on uh, on movies. It was that one with the interlocking circles that there were kind of smoke circles that hovered over the earth, right? And then, and then there was this giant out of focus Universal that came flying in over your head, and it it kind of resolved itself out you know, from out of focus to in focus, and it said a Universal picture. No music, but then you know whatever the theme music would come up, so you'd be watching and go, "Oh, this is gonna be a great movie. It's Universal." And, uh, and it'll probably have Jack Klugman in it. So, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, I always think of it from, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Andromeda Strain is the one that I always key on, on top oh, of. Oh, sure. Remember Silent Running. Oh, the, yeah. know, like se- 70s, 70s thriller movies are like that. So you'd, you'd see that and you're usually like a guitar playing over it or something. Um, and
0: retroactively, those, those uh, interlocking rings always made me feel a little bit like the Earth was in, oh, after 1978, seeing those made me feel like the Earth was in the Phantom Zone
1: look it's and Terrence stamp is in this movie too so there you go
0: exactly Um, oh my gosh we accidentally made a connection
1: (laughs) wow but we you know we finally got to um and there was a beautiful if if you watch the beginning of back to the future three um back to the future three has the they retired the old mca universal logo that we we had grown accustomed to and if you watch the the opening of back to the future three they show all the previous logos as you know the history of universal and then it fades out on the universal the 60s 70s universal logo and it comes up with this gigantic starburst and then the universal logo rolls out with a with a james horner theme um and uh so and that lasted from uh, 1990 to 1997, so we had seven years of James Horner's music. In uh, 97, James Horner, he was great. You know, it's just, yeah. just everything, and you know, our personal favorite, The Rocketeer, but uh, uh, Apollo 13 as well. Um, but you know, you're you're seeing um, you're seeing um, the 1997. There's a major change, and they they again do this thing where they're doing all the different logos. Um, Jurassic Park Two: The Lost World. Uh, they show all the logos, and then they retire the James Horner um, logo, which we have in this movie, and then it goes to uh, it, it goes to the uh, the Goldsmith theme with these gigantic letters spilling out, and the, the new music and the the chimes, the little wind chime sound. Um, it's really an epic sound and they they keep they keep using it again and again and again um, with different varieties um when you watch the 20th anniversary edition of et when that came out in 2000 i can't do the math let's
0: see et was 82 so it'll be 2002 right
1: 2002 yeah they had merged um they had merged the uh the jerry goldsmith theme john williams conducted the universal logo opening for that one even though it was still the jerry goldsmith theme and oh, he wow. merged he merges the universal theme with et's theme so you're, they're playing them both at the same time um by 2012 brian taylor goes in brian taylor's a great composer um i can't think of all the different ones that he's done but he, brian taylor went in brian taylor's the one who added the choir so if you watch the, the movie, the Lorax, that premiered there, and the modern one that we're used to, that big epic theme with the choir and, and everything, and the timpani, that comes out with the Lorax. And um, it has a new, uh, a new type of, uh, of CGI to do the logo. And it's just, you know, you're seeing continents and clouds and, and things as they're pulling away with these gigantic beveled gold letters of Universal spilling out over the horizon. Um, and they get a little bit fast and loose with the with the universal theme music at that time um uh, in the movie the 2015 movie minions the minions are humming acapella they hum the uh, <laughs> the universal themes awesome um if you watch any any of the many pitch perfect movies all the pitch perfect uh movies start with the universal uh theme done acapella and uh it's pretty pretty impressive the way they, they do all of that stuff um when uh the funniest thing is i was looking up when the last time the 1930s 1940s jimmy McHugh theme was used the last time it was used was actually in 1982 for a steve martin movie and i thought wait really when would there be a steve martin movie using that theme and then it hit me it's of course it's uh, dead men don't dead wear men Platt. don't wear plaid i was just about to guess yeah. that
0: thinking of course it's you know retro and you know it's yeah com- and- comic noir and
1: and there you know there it is he they they he got permission to have them throw that on and uh and and play it so uh it's you know it's, it's impressive having having all of that uh that history behind the whole thing um but uh anyway that's with uh, universal let's, let's get on with imagine entertainment real quick the uh the imagine theme is by James Newton Howard who uh we know from uh, uh I think his most famous uh theme is ER just uh, oh, that sure. and um uh, He's done things like uh, I think he did Twenty Four. That you know that, that, that theme is his. He does a lot of electronic stuff moving in, um, but he you know he works in classical uh, kind of kind of stuff. And um, you know he has really nice. He, he can mix acoustic and electronic very easily. And I think this little scene of the water droplet with the uh, with the ripples turning into the word Imagine looks looks really nice. Uh, Imagine being the entertainment company that's owned by Ron Howard and Brian Grazier. And
0: uh, and you know. uh, we were talking uh, before we started. So you said that, so Imagine's first product was Splash. Yep. So Tom yep. Hanks, Daryl Hannah. I'm trying to think what year that was. I'm, I'm Is it somewhere around 80? 80... I think it's like
1: 81, Four? isn't it? Oh, it was 81, internet, 82? 82? I was 82, I'm in around there. I mean, you no, know, very... I've got the
0: internet right in front of me. I <laughs> I, know. I, I merely have the sum total of human <laughs> knowledge at my fingertips, pardon me. Uh, oh, I'll eight, talk eight, all over, yeah. Eighty four. It is a eighty four. Eighty four that late. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was thinking it was earlier, um,
1: but uh, wow. Uh, I know so uh,
0: they've been obviously. Imagine been up and running for quite a while at this point, but it was still, you know, they. I mean, they obviously didn't have the. They weren't getting ready to celebrate their hundredth anniversary the way Universal was.
1: Yeah, yeah, but they. I mean, they they really are good. I think they're pretty good at picking. If not family pictures, at least movies that hit a wide range of audiences. I mean, I think right movie shows television shows like Friday Night Lights or Twenty Four. Um, they they really they know what sells. I think and and they and they also do a lot of small movies. I mean, it's not. I mean, Splash was kind of epic for uh, a large scale movie. Um, and you know, for straight out of the box, that's pretty that's pretty good for their for their first effort. Right. Um, but they've done you know they've done even. Things like taking over, uh, as we were talking earlier with Star Wars, they did Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, oh, of sure, pick,
0: of course, pick, to Ron Howard and yeah, his involvement and
1: kind of pick that up, pick that up in the middle. Um, we've, uh, uh, you know, there, there's so many interactions between uh, the the different types of uh, of television that they do. They do things, you know, everything from uh, from Net, Netflix, Showtime, and you know, a lot of different shows on uh on there um i want to say they did six feet under but i'm 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 doing this blind i'm doing this in the (laughs) blind doing it without a net yeah but they they're really good at picking up uh good oh i know they they, um they do a lot of russell crowe stuff a beautiful mind is probably one of their biggest ones that was an academy award winner so um uh and then there was there was another russell crowe i can't remember which one he was doing but i know imagine has has done a lot of work with uh, with Russell Crowe. So they they've, they seem to get a good stable of actors and, and work their way around, uh, you know, around finding them the proper uh, venues for them to, sure. to use them.
0: And they would have done uh, Arrested Development, too, I think, wouldn't they? Yes. With uh, Ron Howard's involvement, of course. And so that's, a, that's interesting. There's not... I'm going to open myself up to all kinds of criticism because, you know, duh, idiot, what about X, Y, and Z? But... Um, it's interesting to me to find a, a production company that seems to be pretty well balanced between stuff we've heard of both major motion pictures and on the television side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, they're very widespread. I mean, yeah. Um, they, you know, they, they know, I think they know how to pick. Oh, I know one of the ones that they did was a kindergarten cop. Oh, okay. Which, you know, it's clever, it's smart and it's funny. Um, right. They, um, Speaking of, uh, you know, comedies that that worked for them, they did the original movie Gung Ho, and then they did a oh. they did the TV series Gung Ho as well. Gotcha. So, um, uh, oh, you know, and we're we're both talking about this all the time, and I, I completely, <laughs> you know, they happen to be the production company for From the Earth to the Moon on HBO.
0: Oh, of course, which which follows on and makes sense from Apollo thirteen. Yeah, and, you know, the yeah. involvement there that uh what well, what a what an absolutely towering achievement in television, my goodness
1: yeah you know aaron aaron's uh, Aaron Sorkin's uh sports night they did that, they did um oh gosh um i will I will think of a bunch of them after we finish recording perfect but, but yeah. <laughs> then you can just punch in I'll just write, yeah. <laughs> you just just also, throw it in, in the edit yeah, and of course, you know right now as we're as we're recording this their current production on Disney Plus is available uh is the remake of Willow or the sequel to Willow Willow uh with Lucasfilm they're kind of tied in with Lucasfilm on, right. on building I guess building on their um previous work with uh solo so it's yeah i mean it's it's just amazing how they keep picking up pretty solid um you know pretty solid shows that people will watch and and they don't really have to worry about getting too niche they seem to have a good choice of of general interest uh films of which this is one right so um anyway i think that's about all we can all we can say, say about this minute I,
0: oh you know I mean, us better than that oh, Jim. oh yeah yeah
1: but we've got we've got to save some for the rest of the people you know well uh if but, they wanted to talk
0: about it so bad they could have gotten here first
1: yeah exactly yeah you know it's just <laughs> luck of the draw here we go right. but, uh But I do, you know, I hope everybody will will come back as the uh, the singer. By the way, I I have to, I have to credit uh, our singer that you've heard at the intro music, and you'll be hearing coming up in the outro, Mister Maff, who's a, a nice fellow I met from France who uh, was very interested in doing this music for us, and thankfully he he's got the talent to back to back up uh, making a making a very nice theme for us. So thanks to Mister Maff, you can find him on uh, on Spotify. Um, He's a He's got a really great. If you like jazz and blues and things, he's a great singer, and uh, I'm very fortunate to have him on the voice for our show. Although you will be in the future, some people have done uh, karaoke versions of our intro music, so stand by for that. Brace yourselves, because uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 unbelievably entertaining how this show gets in the as in the coming weeks. But but please check back with us. Um, I do want to mention that you can find the bowfinger minute if it, thanks for listening to episode one you can find the rest of the show out there on apple podcast spotify and google play or at the main site bowfingerminute.com do ask please if you have the time could you go out like subscribe review i know everybody asks you that on every single podcast but it really helps people find the show if there's lots of reviews about us so please make it as nice as uh hal and i had on the uh, response for rocketeer we've, we've got a solid 5.0 so far on the on our rocketeer show and we'd love to see that on on this show so we hope you enjoy it as much as as the rocketeer minute so, um also want to mention that uh, on so- social media we're available at welcome to Mindhead, the bowfinger minute listener center on facebook and uh on twitter at bowfinger minute of course uh anyway we will be uh we'll be back here on uh well we'll be back here tomorrow so <laughs> we won't uh, how long we won't be back we'll be on in a couple of weeks but uh, we will have some uh, new, new guests coming up uh, for tomorrow. We have a different host every day this week, but then we'll be going to a week-to-week format next week. Um, so please uh, check back with us tomorrow here, and uh, thanks for joining us on the Bowfinger Minute. And so until next time, which is tomorrow, uh, please keep it together, keep it together, keep it together.
0: <laughs> keep it together. Keep it children. I hope that we'll see you again Cause there's always One more Sure. Yo...